Let's pray. Dear God, O oh Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, and I pray that I de decrease and you increase, Lord, with the power of your anointing, not by my might or by my power, but by your spirit, Lord. And I pray that our minds will be alert and our hearts will be receptive to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Ooh, Brother Isaac, thank you again. <laughs> well, uh, Pastor Nate, as you all know, has been um, talking about worship. And my attempt this evening is not to necessarily define worship by definition, but to be able to give an example of the characteristics of what worship looks like. And I pray that, I know that you all may, as we get into it, come up with many other examples that Jesus gave that would point to worship. You know, I, I know that God doesn't have a weakness, but just humor me for a moment. But I believe that if it was possible, remotely possible, for God to have a weakness, it would be a weakness for worship. And as I mentioned, I believe that Jesus gives us a glimpse of God's heart of worship. And if you have your Bibles and your phones and what have you, if not, it'll be on the screen. We'll start with a familiar passage of Scripture, which is in John chapter 4. And I'll start with verses 1 through 4. And because I've got it written down and there's a little glare, I may go back and forth reading it, but it, it would be the same. And it says that, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, and this is John the Baptist, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed underscore that word, please, he needed to go through Samaria. And again, the key word here is needed. In our modern day dialogue, words can take on and imply different meanings. And here, just to make an example, sometimes my wife will say, hubby, I need to go to J.C. Penney. <laughs> hubby, hubby, I, I need to go get a snowball, and we're sitting on the couch in our pajamas and at home clothes with slippers on and all of a sudden she needed to go to J.C. Penney at 8 o'clock and J.C. Penney closes at 9. But here where we find that the original meaning behind when Jesus said he needed to go to Samaria means that Jesus was deeply driven. He was deeply driven to go to Samaria. By the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what we have to understand. To stay on schedule from Judea to go to Galilee, all they had to do was go straight north. But now when Jesus says that we have to go to Samaria, they're going east, totally away from Galilee. And so you can only imagine that the disciples are looking at him, saying, Jesus, okay, you know, if we have to go to 
Galilee, it's north. I, I, Jesus, I know you're busy and you're doing a whole lot, but I, I looked it up on my cell phone, and if you take yours out, Jesus, it'll show on the GPS that we, that we go north, and you're saying we go east. And so the thing you have to keep in mind here, in John chapter 3, Jesus says something that he needs to prove to his disciples. He says in a familiar passage, he says that, you know, whosoever believes may have everlasting life. But the disciples in their devout culture and their faith says to themselves, well, he has to be talking about us and nobody else. So he needs to go to Samaria to prove a point to them. So this is where we get a glimpse of our first characteristic of worship, worship in action. So Jesus obliges the Holy Spirit and goes to see, in that passage, a woman at the well. And not just any woman, a woman whose whole life has been rearranged for a life of shame. A woman so messed up, her own people don't like her. And you know that because of the time of day that she goes to the well. It's midday. All the other ladies go early in the morning. So she goes at midday because she wants to avoid the scathing stares and all of the chatter. as all you can imagine. Because as we know, this woman has a reputation. So she wants to avoid them saying, oh girl, here she comes. You know, that's that woman with those five husbands. And girl... With all those husbands and stuff, don't you think she'd have some better clothes on? And child, look at her hair. You just think she'd be in better shape with all those men. So she goes at midday to avoid that. So now we find that Jesus takes his disciples to Samaria. And here's another point. It's three days out of the way. So our next point about worship is, how far out of your way are you willing to go for God? How far out of your way are you willing to go for God? Jesus goes three days out of his way for one soul. And he shows this weakness, as I'm calling it, for worship. And the disciples, and you've heard the story how Jesus leaves the 99 and go after the one. And I can imagine people saying, Lord, you got 99 right here. Don't even worry about this one. And Jesus said, but you don't understand. I have this weakness. I have this craving to save souls. I can't help it. It's like the Lay's potato chip. Nobody can eat just one. You just don't understand. I have this weakness, this craving to save souls. And I got to go see this woman. And so, as we continue, we find that Jesus does something different than we have to be careful that we don't do that the disciples were doing. We have to be careful that we don't worship the process and lose focus on the purpose. The disciples had gotten used to the process and gotten away from the purpose. You know, in modern day time, it kind of looks like, okay, I'm going to get to church real quick, and then while we're in church, we're looking at our watch, man, about 20 more minutes, service will be over with, man, I'm going to get to go play golf. A few more minutes, man, church will get to go catch that game. Huh, 
few more minutes, man, the girls and I, we get to go shopping. Well, you know, I served last week, so I don't have to serve this week. And I served both services last time, so I don't need to serve this time. In other words, we get this notion that because we come to church, although it's good, and we serve and pay our tithes, although good, but we have to be careful that we don't start worshiping the process and lose sight of the purpose. And so this is what was happening to the disciples. And Jesus had to show them that you're worshiping the purpose and you're losing sight of the process. So we go in now to verse 4, and I'm just kind of moving forward here. And it said, you know, you know the story where Jesus meets uh, the Samaritan woman. They get to the well, and he asks her for a drink of water, and she looks at him strangely and answers him, how is it that you, being a Jew and me being a Samaritan, ask me for a drink of water, and you know we're not even supposed to be passing each other, dealing with, with each other, let alone talking to each other. And in verse 10, Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And then we move to verse 14, and it says, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him, very important, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. That's worship. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Then the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have said, Well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. In that you've spoken truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our father, key worker, worshipped on this mountain. And the Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. She's caught up in the process too. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And then Jesus says again, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. It's interesting though that Jesus never goes back to the adultery. He uses the very thing that she talks about, the place of worship and what have you, to get his foot in the door of her heart. Because she raised the issue of where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. In other words, it's not the location that makes an act of worship authentic. Worship first and foremost is an experience of the heart. And that's what Jesus was after. 
You know, we can look at that woman and go, wow, man, she's, you know, really out there, all messed up. Got five husbands. Now she's shacking up with one. And now she's been looking around and looking around. It reminds me of this country song by, by, uh, by Johnny Lee where she was just looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> wrong places. In too many places. <laughs> he says, <laughs> yeah, you know that one up. Always. Thank you all so much. But she was looking for love in all the wrong places. And we laugh and we hear that song. But guess what? We're no different sometimes. Sometimes we're looking for love in all the wrong places. And how many times, maybe we didn't have five husbands, but how many times have we put God second, third, fourth, and fifth place in our lives. So it was no different. So we see that Jesus touches this woman's heart and comes up to verse 24 and says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And this woman is so astonished and Jesus touches her heart. So much so that she leaves her water pot and runs into the city and says to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went into the city and they came to him. When this woman said that Come see a man who told everything about me. She was basically saying, come see a man who knew everything I did and how messed up I am. But he saved me. He didn't come to condemn me. He came to save me. He could have talked about how messed up I am. But he didn't bring up all of that stuff. All he said was, I can give you everlasting life. And you've got to come see this man. Amen. Amen. So now here is where her experience and a change of heart, and this is where worship comes in. Now her worship has become a setup for praise. You see, her outside may have still looked the same, but her worship on the inside became her praise on the outside. See, when we see it in its proper perspective, worship is a setup for praise. When we praise God, we're thankful. We say, Lord, I thank you for these shoes on my feet. Lord, I thank you that I got a job. Lord, I thank you I got clothes on my back. Lord, I thank you that my light bill is paid. Lord, I thank you I got a car to drive. And the praiser is praising, but just pay attention to, to, to the difference between the worshiper and the praiser. When the praiser is saying, Lord, I thank you for my shoes, the worshiper is saying, Lord, even if I don't have no shoes. And when the praiser is saying, Lord, I thank you for my job, and the worshiper says, Lord, but even if I don't have a job. And when the praiser is saying, Lord, I thank you for clothes on my back, and the worshiper is saying, Lord, even if I don't have clothes. 
when the praiser is saying, Lord, I thank you my bills are paid. The, the, the worship is saying, Lord, even if my bills aren't paid, even if I don't have a car to drive, I will worship you because of who you are. You don't have to be Santa Claus to me. You don't have to do no performance. Lord, I love you because your love is valuable. Your peace is valuable. Your grace is sufficient for me. Lord, you don't have to do no magic. I worship you because of who you are. That is the difference between a worshiper and a praiser. And even though it's great that we praise, but worship, true worship, is a setup for praise. So we say, Lord, I thank you. And what God wants us to do is say, Lord, I crave you. I thirst for you. My desire is for you. And now true worship starts to express itself in praise. And then you find yourself, Lord, saying, Lord, I thank you that you are a rewarder to those who diligently seek you. And as the psalmist says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. And Lord, as I worship you in praise, you said in this life, I'm going to have tribulations. You said, but cheer up. You have overcome the world. So Lord, you remind us, you said, just be steadfast. Just be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's worship. That's what God has a weakness for. That's what he wants you to do. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then we find later that the disciples come back with the food they had gone into the city to get. And asking Jesus and about to feed him and the Lord basically told him he was already full. And they were wondering, well, well who fed him? Who gave him food to eat? He said, my food is to do the will of my Father. My craving, my weakness, is to save souls. And if you want to see my appetite, appetite fulfilled, you show me a lost soul, and I'll kick down a door. You show me a lost soul, and I'll tear down a mountain to get to him. You show me a lost soul, and there is nothing I won't do, because my eyes look to and fro, throughout the whole earth to show myself strong in those whose hearts are loyal to me. So I thank you. I thank God for this. I pray that all of us, as I share this last part, that we will continue to grow in a spirit of truth because God is looking for such to worship. The worship that begins with a craving for him. Worship looks like that in its characteristic. A craving for him. A longing for him. A thirst for him. And so I pray that we'll go out of our way for God. For, for his purpose. And that we'll do it with a heart of love. And loyalty. And that we're seeking to worship him. Being steadfast and immovable in our worship, knowing that it's not in vain. God bless you. Thank you all so much for allowing me to share this with you. Hallelujah. Amen.